This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shana Roth. The leak of all leaks happened at the U.S. Supreme Court on the night of May 2nd. A draft opinion in the upcoming abortion rights case, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, was leaked to Politico. The opinion, authored by Justice Samuel Alito, indeed shows an intention to functionally overturn Roe v. Wade. Roe is the landmark case that granted a right to an abortion. A number of states, including Michigan, have trigger laws in place, as we've mentioned before on the show, those laws essentially make abortion a crime as soon as Roe falls. In Michigan, there's been a law on the books since 1846 criminalizing abortion. The Michigan law, as revised in 1931, would make it a felony for a medical provider to perform an abortion unless it's necessary to preserve the life of the mother. The law also makes it a misdemeanor to sell abortion drugs in Michigan. But there's a caveat here. All laws need to be enforced for them to be effective. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has pledged to not prosecute people under Michigan's abortion ban, and several county prosecutors have said the same thing. They include Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy and Oakland County Prosecutor Kara McDonald. And if you think about the number of people who live in just those two counties— That's a significant percentage of Michigan's population. Recently on WDET's Detroit Today, University of Michigan law professor and former U.S. attorney Barbara McQuaid told Stephen Henderson that she thinks those prosecutors are well within their bounds to decide whether or not to prosecute those cases. But, she says, that still leaves a patchwork of enforcement across Michigan, and those policies could continuously change over time. I also worry that despite this pledge, you know, this is only as good as these people are in office. And when they change hands, it could change the lay of the, the, the landscape. And I still think that if there is a law on the books in Michigan, providers are, are going to be nervous about performing abortions. There will be a chilling effect on providers for concern that they will be subject uh, to prosecution by some entity and they'll just get out of the business of performing abortions. Now, it's important to note that this leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court is not final or official yet. Abortion is still legal in Michigan, at least until the court hands down its final ruling. And it's not unheard of for the Supreme Court to change direction between when initial votes are taken and opinions are drafted, circulated, and redrafted. Sometimes that initial draft gets tweaks in order to get other justices to come on board with it. But this draft certainly suggests a majority of justices on the court seem to be willing to overturn Roe. And as we've talked about on the show before, there are several attempts that are already underway to keep abortion legal and safe here in Michigan. That includes multiple lawsuits, bills in the legislature, and ballot campaigns that are circulating petitions as we speak. But the clock is running down. The Supreme Court plans to issue its official and binding opinion on the issue in June. So, of 
course, the reactions to this leaked Supreme Court draft have been powerful and widespread here in Michigan. Many people are very concerned about access to legal and safe abortion services. There's also a lot of concern about the effects of a ruling like this, if it does actually become the final ruling, on other constitutional rights. And to that point, Jake, you had a conversation this week with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about that exact thing. Although the Secretary of State's office doesn't have a lot to do with reproductive rights, she says this ruling could have a serious impact on voting. Uh, Yes, and that's, of course, something that the Secretary of State's office has a lot to do with. Also keep in mind that uh, Jocelyn Benson is the former dean of Wayne State's law school, so she has a lot to say about this draft opinion and what it could possibly mean, again, if it becomes final. We also talked about some other pressing topics going on here in Michigan, including the recent May elections and what they may tell us about the August primaries, the general midterm elections in November. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. I did want to talk about the big news from the Supreme Court, this draft opinion that was leaked uh, on Roe v. Wade that would overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, I know abortion rights don't really fall under the purview of your official position, but as a leader here in Michigan, a legal expert, someone who has spoken out in favor of reproductive rights in the past, uh, how are you personally reacting to that news? Well, as a, as a former law dean as well, I look at the draft opinion with a lot of concern because the basis is on overturning the constitutional right to privacy, uh, which is the same basis used in other cases to enable marriage equality uh, and several other freedoms uh, that, that our country has now adopted to. It's also the same reasoning that, that in other cases has found voting to be a fundamental right under the Constitution. And so I think there's certainly the direct impact of what this draft or ultimate final opinion may may bring for the country and for women and for people everywhere. But there's a warning signal as well hidden in the words that um, other long-held rights or protections or freedoms up to and including the fundamental right to vote may also be in jeopardy based on the court's reasoning in this draft opinion. So so that has me very concerned uh, and I think you know really also underscores the fact that you know elections matter uh, and that in every election provides an opportunity for citizens regardless of your position, perspective or where you live to make sure your voices are heard uh, and I think we'll certainly be seeing this have an impact on um, on elections this year and, and I think we're already seeing that based on the, the, a lot of the engagement and high turnout we saw yesterday. That's exactly where I wanted to go next on this. Uh, As you mentioned, a lot of people are interpreting Justice Alito's opinion in ways that would seem to erode other things that we do see as fundamental rights here in America, including that right to vote. Um, It sounds like you do believe that there is a danger there. I'm curious what you think of how, um, you know, what what is the next step? How do you, uh, you know, you've been talking a lot about ways to uphold these institutions, to defend them. Uh, What, uh, you know, what is the course of action if this does become the final ruling from the Supreme Court? 
Well, I think like everything, like the same trend we've seen in voting rights uh, for the past several years uh, with opinions coming out of the Supreme Court that have weakened federal protections for the right to vote, the battle or the opportunity, depending on how you look at it, now shifts to the states and now shifts to voters here in Michigan and in states around the country uh, and our state constitution and protections there. And so I, I think you'll see a lot of conversations, a lot of movement around enshrining protections in our state constitution, which voters can do by referendum or by petition in our state. Uh, as well as in other states. Uh, I, th I think to me, the bottom line, and I always look for inspiration and opportunity in every setback and challenge, is for us to remember that in a democracy, people have the power and people have the ultimate authority to determine who governs us uh, and who determine the, the, and, and hold accountable uh, uh, those, those who, who make decisions that affect us all. And, and so, you know, elections this year, elections in the future provide that opportunity and provide the opportunity for citizens to express their positions on these and other controversial issues and support leaders and referendums and petitions that reflect those values and, those, and, and protect those freedoms. So barring any Supreme Court opinion that could have, again, these sort of sweeping implications for voting rights, what do you see as some of the other big threats uh, to democracy and voting rights in 2022, um, where we sit right now and sort of as we're seeing elections uh, start to get underway here? Well, there's no question that democracy is on the ballot this year. Uh, as the, you know, really the, the Kennedy Library made clear in, in, in the award you mentioned earlier and really highlighting those of us who've been working to ensure that, that no matter where someone lives or who they vote for, they have a voice and it's heard and a vote that's counted. So to me, protecting our, our freedom to vote, our right to elect who governs us is, is a critical issue uh, this year. And voters will have an opportunity to choose uh, across the country and here in Michigan uh, who will be overseeing our elections uh, in the future. And, and we know, I think to me, the biggest challenges or the biggest issues apart from that um, are engagement, making sure voters, I mean, a lot of folks are exhausted frankly, you know, for a lot of reasons, a lot of the uncertainty, a lot of the challenges we've dealt with as a state, as a country over the last five or six years. Uh, and a lot of that is related to um, not just the divisiveness and the toxic nature of politics right now, but also the misinformation uh, and that is, in my view, an extension of this national coordinated, well-funded attack on our democracy being carried out. But people who are lying about the accuracy and integrity of our elections or have um, stated publicly they wouldn't follow the rule of law to certify election results they don't agree with um, has also, I think, created a great challenge for us in the democracy world, but also, you know, um, has has created a lot of um, weariness among citizens uh, who are tired of the noise uh, and just want to know that our state and our elections are going to be run well and with integrity and want to know how to find truth in the midst of all of this noise. So as the, the chief election officer of the state, we've I've taken a lot of steps to make sure people have access to trusted information, including revamping our website to uh, uh, find, find information about audits and other data points that We've conducted the verify that improve the accuracy and, and integrity of our elections. But that battle is an ongoing one. And it's one that we need voters to be engaged with and serve as truth tellers as well, spreading truthful information so that we can ensure everyone is an informed and engaged citizen this year and beyond. You and other elections officials across the state, Republicans, Democrats alike, have been urging lawmakers to pass election reforms for months now. Um, you know, we saw local clerks send a letter to lawmakers and other state leaders urging them, saying, we need help. We need this now. We can't wait on this to, to do things like pre-process ballots, uh, do more for early voting, as you mentioned, do more audits of, of elections mm -hmm. as, and so forth. Um, 
Do you have any hope at this point now that we've already gone past the May election uh, here in Michigan um, that we'll see changes to Michigan law to help clerks and other elections workers do their jobs in August and November? I um, you know, I think the best predictor of the future is the past. And we've been asking for these changes, as you mentioned, really since I took office, uh, for example, uh, testifying in May of 2019 that we before the state legislature that that we need the ability to begin processing and validating absentee ballots as they come in or at least prior to Election Day, uh, like in Ohio and Florida and many other states. And we still haven't seen movement there. Uh, but that doesn't mean we stop pushing. And I think the clerk stepping in and really being engaged in a way that um, that can move the needle is is a significant change. And in my view, we've got you know long term, short term needs for the elections. For for this fall, we really need three things: an increase and sustained source of funding uh, as clerks continue to need resources to support their work. Uh, we need to protect our election officials and increase protections uh, and ramifications for those who threaten our election officials, because so many clerks uh, and those standing on the front lines of of protecting democracy face continuous threats to their safety and to their work. Uh, And three, we need to be able to uh, have policies in place that enable us to process and tabulate and report results of elections as soon as possible after the polls close. And that's why we consistently ask for the ability, as we have in other states uh, seen, to pre-process absentee ballots because more voters are sending their ballots in early. And right now, clerks can't begin tabulating or processing those ballots until 7 a.m. on election day, which puts us at at a disadvantage in getting those unofficial results out uh, at a um, you know efficient speed after the polls close. In in terms of uh, what you're hearing from lawmakers, anyone like that um, has has there been any change recently in their reaction or, or attitudes toward this? And uh, if if the, these don't go into place, what are the ramifications? There has not, I've not seen a change. There's always an openness and a willingness for discussions, which I appreciate. At this point, we need some action. There have been bills introduced that we'd love to see some movement on. And uh, and again, we've seen this legislature move quite quickly when it wants to do something. And so I hope that uh, the sense of urgency that comes with elections uh, coming up, in which they're all many of them are on the ballot, will um, will impact that because we all deserve to, to have smooth and, and put our best foot forward to have smooth elections this year. That said, you know, we managed, myself and our 1,600 clerks, the highest turnout election in our state's history with enormous national scrutiny without these changes in place in 2020. It wasn't easy, but we did it. Uh, and we did it, you know, with integrity and, and proudly uh, with accurate results that stood over hundreds of audits. So we've done it before. We'll do it again. But there's no reason why we, we can't also see partnership and support from our state legislature to essentially continue to make improvements for our elections so that we can you know, essentially do better for, for all of our citizens. As I mentioned earlier, there were elections yesterday here in in Michigan. The May elections don't often get quite as much attention as uh, the primaries in August or the general election in November. But talk about how voting went yesterday. And uh, are there any did you see anything that might tell us about sort of the more high profile elections later in the year and how they might go? Well, we, we did see a lot of people vote prior to election day. So we're continuing to see, you know, even in the waning days of the pandemic, uh, citizens continue to take advantage of their right under our state constitution to vote from home. Uh, and uh, and so a, a significant number of citizens who participated yesterday voted prior to election day. And a lot of the data um, is that, you know, in terms of, of who and where is, is still, um, you know, we're still gathering because it was a local election and a lot of 
that is reported at the county level. Um, but I think the bottom line is we also see hundreds of citizens continue to register and vote on election day itself, even in a local election, which also underscores the importance of, of, of our work to make it easier than ever before to register to vote in our state. Uh, and um, I, I think, you know, we've seen, and I'm sure others have reported some, you know, changes in, in election districts and special elections and house districts uh, that I think, you know, could indicate some trends for, for November, but it's really too early to know uh, on that. I think that the most encouraging thing is we're seeing a lot of people participate. Citizens continue to, 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 to exercise their right to vote from home uh, and uh, citizens continue to, if they're eligible, register on election day and, and ensure that they're able to participate. So all good trends. Um, and uh, I'm optimistic that we'll have, you know, continue to have smooth high turnout elections this year as we did in 2020 uh, and in this local election. Uh, but, you know, again, every election is an opportunity for voters to show us what they're thinking and what they want. And our job is to make sure that wherever they are, Wherever they live, their voice is heard and their vote counts. And speaking of the August primary coming up in a few months, uh, I'm curious what you make of the Republican candidates who are facing challenges to their signatures that they've submitted to appear on the primary ballot in in August. Democrats and even some fellow Republicans who are opponents of these folks are accusing them of submitting forged signatures. Uh, Those those candidates include former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, businessman Perry Johnson, conservative commenter. Tudor Dixon. These are some of the front runners or apparent front runners in the race. Uh, I'm curious what happens if those signatures are proven to be fraudulent. Well, a couple of things. I mean, first, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning of the process. The Bureau of Elections has received uh, the challenges and are reviewing uh, them. And, and you know, there, there have been several. Uh, these are, you know, the individuals who work at the Bureau of Elections have been there for years. They are professionals and they're going to continue this work with integrity as professionals. But I think the second thing is, you know, if the, some of the allegations of fraud uh, turn out to be accurate, uh, there certainly will need to be ramifications for that. Uh, and because I, I have no tolerance for those who would misuse or abuse the, the, the elections process at all, and, and this this in particular, uh, so we could expect referrals to law enforcement and the attorney general if indeed there are um, you know potential potential um, things that that, that evidence in, it suggests we should refer. And um, um, you know beyond that, we'll allow the the facts to to drive us forward and the investigation to play out. Or the 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 you know the response to the challenges to play out, and so so I mean it, again this is this is hypothetical like you said at this point we're at the beginning of the process so we shouldn't mm-hmm. assume that any of these uh, that 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 these are you know challenges are expected in these cases so uh, no conclusions mm-hmm. to be made yet but uh, again uh, uh, fraudulent signatures especially if you if you see lots of them is there are there criminal implications there. Potentially. I mean, again, it depends on the nature of the violation. And but but I think the, the bottom line is we're going to take any any evidence, uh, any credible evidence of illegal wrongdoing happening in the petition process, including fraud and forgery very seriously. And we'll refer it to the appropriate law enforcement officials to ensure there's accountability uh, and uh, and you know also continue to work with legislators in the hopes of strengthening the protections for the petition process to ensure that we can uh, and have this pro- this aspect of our elections the the petitioning of candidates to get on the ballot go not just smoothly but you know with an eye towards protecting the integrity of the process so if we need additional protections additional uh, um, ramifications uh, through changes in the law we'll explore that too but you know at this point we're just going to see. Uh, you know, the, the process will play itself out, uh, but we do um, take very seriously any 
um, any um, violations of election law, and we will refer them to law enforcement if they're found. That's Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. She spoke with me just this week, and we covered a lot of territory there. Uh, you can hear more from WDET and Detroit Today by going to the Detroit Today podcast. Uh, wherever you found this podcast for Mishmash, you can find Detroit Today as well. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. 